JB, good job guessing uh, where I was on Saturday, Cortland at Brockport, and got to see Coach Potter, Coach Mangoni with the, the beard looking great, uh, midseason form uh, with that. Didn't get to talk nice. with him, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe soon I'll get a chance to talk with him. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, Coach Fitzpatrick from uh, Cortland, good to see him. And, uh, you know, he saw me on the sideline of the National Anthem uh, time, and he's like, oh, you're here, huh? I'm like, yep. And uh, so his players guessed yeah, correctly, hey. actually. So good job by them. But, you know, in the post game, uh, CJ, their social media guy, took some photos of me doing interviews and whatnot, and I noticed something that's really been bothering me. Yeah. Um, I'm apparently gaining weight, and my physique's going to crud right now because of the crud I've been eating <laughs> all along the season. And, you know, oh, as, as mayor of Balsam Spa, I don't get to the gym as much as I'd like to. And uh, so th things are going the wrong way. And then I'm, I'm eating things like this while we were playing Geek Squad here uh, with uh, your uh, computer set up. Yeah. So I need your advice. W what can I do here to get back on track? Because this is bothering me seeing those photos. Maybe a little less on the garbage plate and the chicken riggy routine. Maybe just get back into just some, ch you know, chicken breast. Uh, steak, protein, that kind of thing. Less beer, less margaritas. Yeah. Yeah, so probably, yeah. Okay. You know, White Claw, maybe. A little less caloric. I don't know, what are the, whatever the kids are doing these days. <laughs> is that what it is? Well, listen, you know, I, I, it's, like I said, it's bothering me, but it, at least tonight... I, I've got to get to the gym, but we've kind of gotten the Geek Squad thing out of the way. I think we're going to have a good show now. Mm. So, you know, so. I, I mean, you've got the full experience of our set now. You, you, your computer, you are ready to run the show. I, you don't need me anymore. So why don't you, like, do the intro uh, for a week six here? Go ahead. Tell, tell everybody what we're going to watch and what they're watching. Well, you are watching season 15 of In the Huddle. This is our week six crunch time show. Well done. I always got to do the hand signal. I don't know why. It's just well, it, it, the it. hand signal is uh, always useful as long as it's done kind of in step with the intro and not over it. But we'll, we'll get it in somehow, some way. I promise you in the edits there. But uh, JB, yeah. this has been an yeah, interesting right. week six that we just went through. And um, some games, uh, like we said, upsets or near upsets in certain cases that we didn't necessarily foresee. I'm going to let you have the 30,000 foot view as always on week six in the 2022 season. Yeah, well, obviously, while we know that there are certain national favorites in various conferences across the country, when I was sort of looking through each region, I realized there's still a lot of games that are up for grabs. There's a lot of conference championships and the pool A's that are up for grabs. Pool C's are up for grabs up until, you know, the, the, <laughs> you finally hear them on, uh, you know, the Sunday after the last week of the regular season. So still a lot of football to be played. There were some really great marquee matchups this weekend not a ton but they they all came through with some very exciting finishes the um, Birmingham Southern Trinity game was one for the ages I mean something that we'll be talking about I mean this season's been crazy you had the drive earlier on and, and now we've got this you know pass from from Tucker Horn and it was crazy Frank I remember you know being running around a little bit on Saturday and I texted you that the two guys we interviewed the day before were just involved on in a play because Garrett Smith sacked Tucker Horn. You could see the Tucker was a little uh, slow to get up from that, but hey, he he got in there, did what he did, and threw the game-winning pass. I mean, I thought Birmingham had the game won when they scored with, what, like 30, 40 seconds left, and then Tigers just get back out there and, and throw a pass, and bam, what a, what a crazy finish. It was a great weekend of football. It was a lot of fun to watch. I think it was about a minute left or around 59 seconds, but it was not much time and uh, timeouts were uh, not exactly plentiful for uh, Trinity. But great job by that team to do what they did 
at the end. You'll see it in crunch time here, but I do want to mention one thing about that game. And games like that are when you can hear some announcers that you might not otherwise hear and appreciate what their trade is ultimately. And I want to give a shout out to Brian Yanselson, who is the play-by-play guy, and we'll use some of his audio here coming up in crunch time. Uh, He did a great job just kind of Look, it's an exciting moment. By all means, get excited. But he yeah. didn't get overexcited, and he still <laughs> remembered that there was a game left to be called for the next, you know, whatever number of seconds were left, like 20 seconds. So a yeah. great job by him. Uh, his uh, color commentator, Luke Terry, uh, got really excited, and I, I understand that. But Brian just kept his cool the whole time, and folks... Uh, I'm trying to get him uh, a conversation with some people after graduation uh, as to what uh, he can do next. And uh, I hope others out there that might be listening that have connections to broadcasters or broadcast ideas uh, to help him out because uh, nobody at Trinity has really set him up with any uh, ideas or people to talk with about the next steps. Uh, Listen, they are as important to this process as the players in some ways because they're telling the stories and interviewing them and everything else. So help us give a guy like that a chance. Hopefully Brian can find a pathway to uh, greater things. And if you don't know what I mean by it, you'll see it coming up here on our uh, Crunch Time show. The dog's all excited. I'm excited. So let's let's go to Crunch Time for week six of the 2022 (laughs) Division III college football season. We'll start in Region 1 with a game with no video for us here. Uh, Bates at Amherst, and Bates wins the game 28-14. Colton Basilei gets a 23 for 40 day, 239 yards, three passing touchdowns. It was the first win for head coach Matt Coyne. Here's something to think about, though. Amherst has had their worst start this year in the 21st century, believe it or not. Uh, They have not had uh, 0-4 as a start in the 2000s, so that's something uh, that they need to really fix there and a little bit of an unbelievable season in the NASCAC. Let's move on to video now as Norwich took on Merchant Marine and in the second quarter, 12-20 left. Balls his own number. Long fake to Simmons and Jeremiah Long down the sideline. Touchdown, Merchant Marine. 37-yard touchdown run by the quarterback. Jeremiah Wong gets the 37-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0 Merchant Marine Academy. Uh, they added a touchdown and a field goal before halftime. It was a 17-0 lead for Merchant Marine. But then in the third quarter, midway through, Norwich's Will Thornton gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Mitchell Thiel. So it's a 17-7 score at that point. But the uh, game was pretty much put away at the very end by Merchant Marine's defense. Here's his second and 10 play from uh, Norwich's 18. Uh, Mitchell Thiel sacked here. Uh, then another sack on third down, you're going to see right here. And then on fourth down. Cadets need 21. And the ball goes out of the end zone. That's a safety. That game is pretty much done at that point with a final score of 19-7. to Long with 30 rushes, 134 yards, and that rushing touchdown. Uh, USMMA defense had five sacks, including the two you saw there and two interceptions. Let's talk about Kings. Hosting Stevenson, a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people in this game. As the first quarter was scoreless and a field goal for Kings early in the second quarter made it 3-0. They'd add to that, 334 left in the second quarter. Jayon Haley gets a uh, touchdown run, four yards out. 10-0 the lead for Kings. Stevenson would respond, though, just before halftime. It's Maurice Hammond with a one-yard touchdown run, making it 10-7. Kings still with the lead. But we'll go all the way to the fourth quarter, a minute and a half in as Shamar Ellis gets a touchdown, 17-7 Kings, and they would add a field goal later to make it 20-7 in favor of Kings. Quietly, they've racked up a 4-1 season here as Tyler Moore goes 20 for 35, 289 yards. Their defense held Stevenson to 185 total yards. Three sacks they had and two interceptions. Finally, in Region 1, Castleton at Gallaudet in the ECFC. The halftime score was 7-3, Castleton leading the game. A minute into the third quarter, though, Gallaudet's Brandon Washington gets a 46-yard touchdown run, so that would make it 10-7 in favor of Gallaudet. The teams would trade field goals later in the third quarter, but in the fourth, 6.54 left in that fourth quarter, it is 
uh, John Warner Jr. with his pick six interception return to make it 20 to 10 in favor of Gallaudet. Later on, about uh, three minutes later, Lucas Morse from Castleton gets a 26 yard pass from Evan Smith. So that now makes it 20 to 17 in favor of Gallaudet. A chance maybe to get the ball back was pretty much stifled here on the second and nine play. Drayvon McCall, uh, excuse me, Drayvon McCall uh, rushes for a yard, but he gets another 15 from a face mask penalty that was committed by Castleton, and that would effectively end the game. The final score, 20 to 17, Gallaudet winning against Castleton. Brandon Washington, it's a 24 rush day, 125 yards and a rushing touchdown. Two receptions in addition, 16 yards. Gallaudet's defense had six sacks and two interceptions. JB, uh, they're uh, having a good go of it in the ECFC with some big games to go, though, as Alfred State and also Anna Maria still to come for Gallaudet. But uh, a good showing so far for them. Let's talk about the rest of Region 1. Well, as we told you last Friday, Mass Dartmouth started off the whole Week 6 with a 28-14 win. They're in control of their destiny in the MASCAC, but there are teams like Bridgewater State that they still have to play that could make things interesting. Elsewhere, we saw DelVal win pretty convincingly. They, they seem to be in control of, the, of their destiny in the MAC. They've won 40 games in a row in conference play. Don't see anyone taking them down. Same thing with Endicott. They, they pretty much control their destiny in the CCC. Elsewhere, uh, Framingham wins big. Bridgewater, as I said, is a definite contender still in the MASCAC that, that the Corsairs are going to have to deal with. FDU Florham won over Widener, and we saw Trinity, Connecticut win big. They have a game this weekend up in Vermont against Middlebury, who's also undefeated in uh, NESCAC play. So they, they won 30-7 over Williams. We saw Tufts take care of Bowdoin. Western Connecticut knocks Plymouth State off the, uh, the pedestal of undefeated teams and, and maybe helps the Corsairs out by, by, uh, by doing that. Curry surprised us with a 37-20 win over Salve Regina. And then the, the great lobster trap matchup, we were both wrong. The Eagles of Husson uh, flew away uh, back to, to, to Maine with that, uh, taking care of the University of New England 31-14. The rest of the scores, you can kind of see no real surprises, Frank, other than I think that Western Connecticut Plymouth State game. I think a lot of folks thought the Panthers maybe could keep that undefeated streak going a little longer. Indeed, I, th I think you're right about that, but uh, not so much. And UMD seeming to get the uh, easier road here, but it's not all over yet in uh, the Mascac. Still a chance, but they're going to need to uh, knock off that UMD uh, Corsairs team, which has been rolling since that Anna Maria loss earlier in the season. Let's go to Region yeah. 2. Cortland at Brockport, the game I attended, and 42 seconds of the game, the second play of uh, game from offense. Joshua Cordero is in the fortuitous bounce game here as he gets a 35-yard pick six off the caroms to make it 7-0 in favor of Cortland. Then 14-16 uh, left in the second quarter, Brockport responds. James Altenberg gets an 11-yard touchdown pass for Todd Simons, 7-7. Simons, though, would leave the game later with an injury and would not return. Second quarter, 10-51 left. Cortland's Jaden Alfano St. John gets a one-yard touchdown run, making it 14-7 in favor of Cortland. Really no looking back from there. As four minutes later, Rashad Tucker gets this 94-yard kickoff return after a field goal by uh, Brockport. It's Tucker just going down the field. The flag you may see is picked up, uh, so it does count 21-10 in favor of Cortland. And then Zach Boys gets a seven-yard touchdown run to finish out the first half scoring for Cortland. 151 left in that second quarter, 28-10 to 10 in favor of Cortland. The final score, uh, really, uh, I, I think it's a little telling to some folks, 42-24, Cortland mm -hmm. wins it. Jaden Alfano St. John gets the hat trick with three touchdowns uh, at the end of this game. He had 26 rushes, 119 yards, and those three rushing touchdowns. Rashad Law, though, for Brockport, 25 rushes, 147 yards, and two rushing touchdowns, both in the second half. Let's talk about pack action here. First off, it's Washington and Jefferson at Westminster. The only scoring in the uh, first half was with 133 left. Here is Bryce Butler getting a pick six, a 77-yard interception return for a touchdown. So Westminster went to halftime leading 7-0. Third quarter was scoreless. In the fourth quarter, it's uh, Jay O'Rourke with an eight-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Pugh to make it 7-7 in favor of Washington and Jefferson. O'Rourke then, uh, about five minutes later, it's a 24-yard touchdown pass from John Paduzzi. 
So it's 14 to 7 in favor of Washington and Jefferson. They'd add a late field goal though to make it 17 to 7. Minute 23 left, Westminster's Ryan Gomez gets a 7-yard pass from Tyler McCowan. Uh, so now it's, excuse me, McGowan, I should say, it's 17-14 in favor of WNJ. But Ben Pugh's kickoff is uh, only going nine yards here, and that onside kick fails, and that would end the game in favor of Washington and Jefferson. 17-14 final for uh, them. And, you know, again, Westminster, one of their worst starts, honestly, in quite some time as they are now 2-3, and three, but you got to look at the teams they've played, so... Uh, we'll see where they go with that. Johnny O'Rourke, five receptions, 58 yards, two receiving touchdowns. Ian Barr, the linebacker for Westminster, with eight tackles, two and a half for loss, and an interception in the losing cause. Then a game that almost shocked the world, and honestly, it cost Carnegie Mellon a couple of spots in the poll, it looks like, as they visited Waynesburg. They were scoreless in the first quarter, but CMU would start scoring with a one-yard touchdown run midway through that quarter. In the second, it's Willem Boma with a 10-yard touchdown run to make it 13-0 Tartans. 2.27 left, so about 50 seconds later, Waynesburg's Dakota Romantino gets a 52-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Raines to make it 13-7. The halftime score would be 13-10 Carnegie Mellon, though, as uh, they, were, they would add a field goal with Waynesburg, and they would tie the game midway through the third quarter with another field goal. 3.44 left third quarter, Ben Kandimi gets a 20-yard touchdown pass from Ben Mills, so now the score is 20-13 in favor of Carnegie Mellon. 149 left third quarter, there's that Dakota Romantino again, a 73-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Raines to make it 20 apiece. We remain tied for basically a full 15 minutes in this game. 109 left in the fourth quarter, Dominic Voiland gets a 10-yard pass from Ben Mills for the touchdown. This ended a 16-play drive that took seven and a half minutes off the clock to make it 27-20, Carnegie Mellon leading. Let's go to the possibility for overtime, maybe. Well, first and 10 for the Carnegie Mellons, 40. Tyler Raines is intercepted, and this would end the game as Adrian Williams gets that interception and effectively ends it for a 27-20 win by Carnegie Mellon. They hold on. Willem Boma with that 28 rushes, 147 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Dakota Romantino, I love the name. Six receptions, 213 yards, and two touchdowns for Waynesburg in the losing cause. In the end, Jack. Kane visited Montclair State. In the second quarter, 11.30 left, Eric Cowan gets a 77-yard touchdown pass from Mason Murdoch. That's a 16-0 lead for Montclair State. We'll go to the third quarter. They're still a big, after this uh, big uh, touchdown again, it's Cowan from Murdoch. 2.53 left third quarter, leading 22-9 was Montclair State. But things would turn around. Midway through the fourth quarter, Robbie Nungesser gets a six-yard touchdown run, making it 22-16 in favor of Montclair. And then with 45 seconds left, Dazzy Inuzio gets a touchdown pass from Robbie Nungesser. 23-22, Kane leading this game. There'll still be a chance for Montclair, but you can see as the pass is attempted, it's intercepted by Javon Arrington, and that would do it. Kane with the huge comeback in this game at Montclair, 23-22. Again, 16-6 at halftime, but it was a 16-0 lead at one point. Nungesser, 211 total yards, two rushing, and one passing touchdowns. The game winner with 45 seconds left, as you saw. We'll stay in the N-Jack, and TCNJ visited Rowan on Friday night. Uh, it was 7-0 Rowan before halftime, but then uh, they'll add this before that halftime uh, started. 25 seconds left in the half. Terry Carlstrom gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Mike Husney to make that halftime score 14-0 Rowan. We'll go up to the fourth quarter. It was crazy. So uh, TNC and Jay would tie things up first right here as TJ Sheen gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Trevor Bopp. So 14-14, three minutes into the fourth quarter. About four minutes later... Ryan McKinney, an 18-yard touchdown pass from Bop, gives TCNJ their first lead, 21-14. Rowan, they would get a touchdown from Mike Husney with 56 seconds left, a five-yard touchdown run, but the extra point, it was no good. So TCNJ retained the lead, 21-20. So after that uh, missed extra point, they had no choice but to try the onside kick, and they get it. And so Rowan's still in business here. Uh, we'll see a couple plays here, though. First off, Mike Husney rushing right for 25 yards to get to the TCNJ 29-yard line. Uh, that's uh, leaving basically 20 seconds on the clock. 
Uh, but here's a fourth and ten play. Call Kyle. Let's see what they do. Husley, Queen pocket, throws, caught. Get out, get it's out. Yes. And he's out One of bounds. Second. One second. With a second left. Uh, Mike Husney complete to Terry Carlstrom for 20 yards. That takes it to the 19-yard line of TCNJ. Here's the field goal attempt. The junior from Freehold. The snap is low, but the kick is yeah. up and good. The kick is up and good. And the props win it in the final second. Unbelievable ending. Props win. It's good. What an incredible comeback. I, I mean, really, Rowan had the lead, loses the wow. lead. They, they probably should have lost the game because of that missed extra point, but the kicker gets redemption as Jake Hurler gets that 36-yard field goal for the 23-21 win. Mike Husney, 233 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown. Trevor Bopp from TCNJ in the losing cause, 30 for 43, 349 yards, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. JB, I'll tell you something. <laughs> Games like that started off our weekend crazy, and we stayed crazy for most of the rest of it, as you could see there in Region 2. What else you got? Well, no real surprises in Region 2, but for the most part, this area is still up for grabs. I mean, really only Salisbury in the NJAC seems to be a lock for their conference championship. Uh, Carnegie Mellon had a scare, and they have to turn it around real quick because they have to go play Washington and Jefferson on the road. That's basically a potential pack championship game uh, coming up in Week 7, but elsewhere, you know, your Union Dutchman playing pretty strong, Frank, and RPI's offense seems to be getting off the ground. They have a big game against Hobart this weekend that we'll talk about a little later. Well, we'll talk about it later, but we'll talk right now about Region 3. And let's start with that big game, Birmingham Southern at Trinity, Texas. 6.32 left first quarter. We'll talk about Ryan Merrifield with a 17-yard pass from Tucker Horn, guest on our show on Friday, to make it 7-0 in favor of Trinity. But Birmingham Southern would respond two minutes later as John Lewis gets a 30-yard run to make it 7 apiece. The teams would trade field goals before halftime for a 10-10 score. In the third quarter, 5.57 left, Caleb Crawford gets a 24-yard touchdown pass from Horn. So now it's 17-10 Trinity. They looked ready to surge into a large lead, but here's a huge mistake. First and goal from the BSC 9, and he's intercepted his Tucker Horn by Jet Wilson. The touchback occurs, no points scored by Trinity. That almost came back to bite them there. 6.52 left, fourth quarter. Birmingham Southern uh, gets a Zach 4, 22-yard field goal, so they're creeping into this game here at 17-13 Trinity leads. And then with a minute 7 left, John Lewis with a one-yard touchdown run makes it Birmingham Southern 20, Trinity 17, their first lead of the game for Birmingham Southern. As you know, folks, it came down to a fourth down play with about 20 seconds left. Here we go. Six with him or not. Fourth and five. Horn looking deep, has a man. Catch is made by Carter Touchdown! Touchdown, Trinity! Oh my goodness! What a play by Carter Self! Tucker Horn hitting him right in stride. And this crowd is going wild. Ryan Yanselson with that call and an incredible 43-yard touchdown pass to Carter South makes it 23-20, but still a chance technically for Birmingham Southern. Mary will just toss it. And here come the hook and ladders. But they don't have much room here. It's all the way back to Marin. And now Rue. Tigers trying to chase him down, and Jarrett Phillips knocks the ball loose. The ball is on the ground, and this game is over. Tigers with a stunning victory here at home. Couldn't do it. Trinity wins an absolute heartstopper of a game by the final score of 23 to 20. Tucker Horn, 23 for 32, 322 yards, three passing touchdowns, and the interception you saw. John Lewis, 23 rushes for Birmingham Southern, 90 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. No video for this game, but we do want to flag it as something that surprised some people that UMHB only won against ETBU, 24-7. Kyle King went 22 for 35, 211 yards, two passing touchdowns. The ETBU defense, though, gets two sacks and two fumble recoveries. UMHB had a total of five fumbles in the game, but obviously only lost two of them. Still, that's a lot of fumbles by the crew. 
Let's go to the USA South as Brevard hosted Methodist on their homecoming weekend. And Brevard would take a halftime lead of 13-0 in this game. Ten minutes into the third quarter, Taekwon Edie gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Brandon Bullens to make it 13-7. Brevard still leading, but Methodist creeping back into the game. Two minutes later, Chancellor Parker Lee gets a 42-yard touchdown run for Brevard. So now it's 19-7 Brevard, but Methodist won't go away as 80 gets a one-yard touchdown run, now 19-14 in favor of Brevard. They would up their lead to 22-14 with a 39-yard field goal, but Methodist, with 29 seconds left, gets a one-yard touchdown run from Kobe Prelo. It's 22-20. Here's the two-point conversion attempt. Brandon Bullens, his rush attempt fails, and so the onside kick comes up. It went out of bounds, and Brevard holds on 22-20 to win this game. Again, they led 13-0 at the half. Mitchell Yoder for Brevard, 151 total yards, one rushing touchdown. And the Methodist offense scored with 29 seconds left to almost tie the game. Finally, in the ODAC in Region 3, Shenandoah visited Bridgewater. Let's move ahead to the second quarter. 14.53 left. Shenandoah's Jaden Roberts gets a 31-yard touchdown pass from Stephen Hugney to take a 14-0 lead. But Bridgewater will score three straight times, all on field goals, including this 47-yarder by Jackson Hendren. Great kick by him for sure. After all those field goals and one of their own, Shenandoah was up 17-9 heading into the fourth quarter. 11.30 left in that fourth quarter. Bridgewater's Albert Mensah gets a two-yard touchdown run, but their two-point conversion failed, so it's still 17-15 Shenandoah. But 7.58 left fourth quarter, Dylan McLaughlin gets a six-yard pass from uh, Jalen Wood to give Bridgewater their first lead of the game, 23-17. And still a chance here, though, for Shenandoah. Fourth and one, you can see that this pass completion in a four-yard loss does not get it done ultimately, and Bridgewater wins, basically a nice come-from-behind win by them. The Eagles win it 23-17. They trailed 17-9 going into the fourth quarter. Shenandoah's offense uh, out, uh, outshined uh, Bridgewater's 370-158, but it doesn't matter. Look at the score. But they committed yeah. three turnovers, two fumbles, and an interception and gave up three sacks in this whole process. So what a topsy-turvy game that was. And I guess, as they say, Definitely. defense eventually wins championships or games like those. Yeah, and it keeps Bridgewater undefeated and on a crash course with uh, Randolph-Macon, who won pretty easily this weekend. Randolph-Macon is going to have to run the gamut, though. If they want to win the ODAC, they have to play Bridgewater, Shenandoah, and Washington and Lee over the next three weeks. So even though they had an easy win last Saturday, their schedule really ramps up and we'll see what happens there. Elsewhere, Harden-Simmons trying to pile up some style points with a big win over Ross State. They could still be in the Pool C conversation with 9-1, and one, depending on how certain things shake out. I know they got left out last year, but with the way things have gone this year, kind of up in the air. We'll see. I mean, UMHB did not play great. I have a feeling that the six weeks in a row of these really crazy uh, high-profile games may have taken their toll. They're probably going to coast out the rest of their season a little bit here. They don't have a demanding schedule. Maybe Kyle King and company sort of rest up and get ready for the playoffs. We'll, we'll have to see where it goes from there. In the USA South, there's a big game this weekend when Brevard takes on Huntingdon. Brevard had a tough start to their season, but they're undefeated 2-0 in the USA South, so big game for them coming up and quietly behind the scenes, Frank. Center is still undefeated in SAA play. They won against Sewanee. They are going to have to try and challenge Trinity, who had a real close call, but in one of the most exciting games we've gotten to see in quite some time. Let's go to two regions four through six, and we're going to start with a huge game. And that was the Oshkosh at River Falls game. Uh, only one spot apart uh, to start the weekend in the top 25, and you'll see why right here. UWRF was trying to protect a 17-3 lead into the second quarter, but uh, UWO would surge in this game. 110 left in that second quarter. DJ Stewart gets a 17-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Berghammer to make it 17-11 in favor of River Falls. In the third quarter, though, Oshkosh would tie the game with 10:42 left as uh, Clayton Schwalbe gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Berghammer. 
17-17 after the extra point fails, so we are tied. Oshkosh, though, would continue scoring. 5.33 left in the third quarter. Tony Steger gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Berghammer to make it 24-17 Oshkosh. So what a turnaround of this game. But River Falls would not collapse here. As uh, Caleb Blaha gets a three-yard touchdown run to tie things up in a 14-play drive. 128 left third quarter. We're tied at 24 apiece. Well, they, they would do it again in terms of a lot of plays in a drive. This time, an 18-play drive was ended by Justin Schieberl's 23-yard field goal. 27-24, River Falls back with the lead. Now the defenses would take over in the fourth quarter. UWO first had a chance, second and eight though, and Berghammer was intercepted by Michael Brown. So there went that opportunity, but River Falls would cough up the ball back as Blaha fumbled the ball, and it was forced by McCade Mella and recovered by Bryce Edwards. So UWO gets one more chance. 4th and 15, very late in the game. Berghammer is intercepted by Michael Brown, and that would do it. So Brown, with two interceptions in that fourth quarter, protected the win for River Falls. The final score, 27-24. Blaha, 315 total yards, one passing, two rushing touchdowns. Both teams only punted once in this game. Michael Brown with those two interceptions. This game was a surprise. Wittenberg at DePaul. We're not going to show you too much of it because this game got decided pretty early. 7.57 left first quarter. Gus Baumgartner's 16-yard touchdown run made it 7-0 DePaul. Well, that was about it in terms of offense for DePaul. 157 left in the first quarter. Drew Steer gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Colin Brown to tie things up at 7 apiece. Second quarter, just before halftime, Wittenberg's Colin Brown gets a four-yard run and scores on that play for a 14-7 lead at halftime. Then we'll go midway through the third quarter. Bryce Anderson gets a 10-yard touchdown run for Wittenberg, 21-7. They just keep cruising there. Their final score, 30-7 over DePaul. Nathan McCahill gets a 6-for-16 six day for DePaul, 100 yards, but four interceptions. That Wittenberg defense was strong. Colin Brown for Wittenberg, 85 total yards, one rushing, one passing touchdown. Huge game. Wartburg at Central in the ARC, and Wartburg held a 10-0 halftime lead and would extend it to 13-0 early in the third. Eight minutes left in the third quarter, Gabe Howard gets a seven-yard touchdown pass from Cooper Downs to make it 13-7, Wartburg still leading. We'll go to the fourth quarter, first play in that quarter, Ryan New with, six, with a six-yard touchdown pass from Cooper Downs. So now it's Central leading 14-13. Wartburg would roar back here, 13-17 left fourth quarter. Thor Makestead gets a 22-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin to take a 21-14 lead after a successful two-point conversion pass. Then with 7.35 left, Hunter Clayson gets a 21-yard touchdown run. Wartburg's rolling now as they get uh, the extra point to make it 28-14. They get the ball back again and they look to be in control, but then Ben Bryant fumbles the ball as uh, Scavin Hiresman, uh, who uh, knocks it out, and Stevie Maddox Jr. with the recovery. So Central gets the ball back this way. With 2.32 left, they'll score as Logan Mont gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Brady Ketchum. So it's 28-21 Wartburg. So what's left to do here but an onside kick, and it is successful as Central gets the ball back. Just 28 seconds, three plays later, Carson Cummer gets a 49-yard touchdown pass from Ketchum. We are tied again at 28 apiece. Wartburg, though, would get one more score here in an important one as Hunter Clayson gets the one-yard touchdown run on an 11-play drive with 21 seconds left to make it 35-28 in favor of Wartburg. Niall McLaughlin makes it a 27 for 43 day, 331 yards, two passing touchdowns, and an interception. This uh, central offense uh, played three quarterbacks. They totaled up for 373 yards, four passing touchdowns, and an interception. Finally, the late game in Region 6, Redlands visited Cal Lutheran. Redlands, would they get their first win? Well, you can see the score on the screen, and we'll tell you with 6-12 left in the first quarter, Grant Cheney gets a 29-yard touchdown pass from Miles Herrera to take a 7-0 lead. With 36 seconds left in the first quarter, they'd add on to it as Andrew Kelstrom made it a 14-0 game with a three-yard touchdown run of his own. That was the halftime score, 14-0. Third quarter, midway through it, it's Andrew Kelstrom again. A 28-yard touchdown run makes it 21-0, and there was no looking back for Redlands. 35-14 over the Kingsmen. Andrew Kelstrom, 18 rushes, 143 yards, four rushing touchdowns for him. Nick Lasher, 23 for 31, 211 yards, and two passing touchdowns in the losing cause. 
Well, JB, uh, Redlands finally off to snide and uh, yeah. some really exciting games throughout regions four through six, more of which you'll tell us about right now. Yeah, and as you can see from this slide, there were a ton of games out here in four through six. So a couple things that sort of jump out. Mountain Union only beat Heidelberg by 28. Maybe that's a surprise, maybe not to some. Uh, but most of the games pretty lopsided here and there with a few close ones. Northwestern beating Greenville is kind of interesting. Maybe they'll be a new champion of the UMAC uh, this season. John Carroll wins big and somehow ends up back in the top 25, Frank. I don't understand that one really, but hey, uh, good for the streaks. Uh, they're four and one, I believe. And so, hey, I guess that's that's good enough. Uh, Muskingum wins in double OT. Out in the Heartland, Roseland wins big over Manchester. Olivet stays undefeated with a 41-17 win over Kalamazoo. Augustana puts up 70 points. Yikes. Um, and St. Norbert wins a close one against Wisconsin Lutheran. Monmouth knocks off Chicago, who was undefeated prior to that. So making things a little interesting there in the Midwest Conference for uh, teams like Ripon and Lake Forest. We'll see how that conference race shapes up. It's, it's going to be a good one. Carlton wins the GOAT 26-7. Martin Luther beats Crown, which I think we heard on around the nation as being a bit of a, a, a bit of a surprise. And then elsewhere, we mentioned Ripon, they win big. Wash U looks pretty good. Maybe they'll challenge North Central for the CCIW title. Well, who knows? Uh, Platteville wins over Stevens Point 31-3. And then a little further down, down the road, Pacific Lutheran takes care of Lewis and Clark. Uh, Pacific and Pacific Lutheran will be playing Linfield, who was a 35-17 winner. They they actually were struggling with the with the Pirates initially. It was only seven to nothing in the mid-second quarter until the Cats sort of pulled away from that one. And then elsewhere, um, Simpson loses big to Dubuque, 66-7. And Pomona Pitzer, still quietly with the best record in the Skyac, wins 56-7. Well, folks, that is crunch time for week six in the 2022 Division Three college football season. Well done, sir. Uh, a lot of uh, coverage here. 15 games with video that we showed there and everything else. Wow. So uh, great, great work uh, by you, that by me first. pulling it together. Uh, I, we've done that before, but uh, not many times. I'll 15? tell you that much. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. believe it or not. But uh Let's talk about your MVPs, and uh, there's going to be probably not much surprise for two of these. And then uh, <laughs> I, I think the, the hair of the third one alone should yeah. be an MVP. So let's look at the uh, slide totally. here. And first off, Tucker Horn from Trinity. What a shock. The Fast Five uh, interviewee on ATN, yep. uh, the interviewee on our show on Friday. He had one hell of a weekend in every sense of the word. Yes, he was. Go ahead, talk about him. Yeah, I mean, and he's such a class act. I mean, he always gives credit to the rest of his team and, and all of that. But th th this is what you want your quarterback and the leader of your of your team. Just the, the poise under pressure, uh, just being excited to get back out on the field and with a chance to win the game with less than a minute to go and, and getting the job done and, and very just almost movie-like fashion. I mean, what a, what a pass and, and, and catch there. So... Congratulations to Tucker and the Tigers there in San Antonio. Imagine it was a good win for them, but there are still some challengers for them down the road. And um, unfortunately for Birmingham Southern, that might have that might be it for their season. I don't know if they can, you know, get into the Pool C considerations. They've lost two heartbreaking games this season by just a very narrow margin. But the Panthers should hold up their heads high. Tucker, though, hey, he was he was the offensive MVP this weekend and. On the flip side, defensive back Michael Brown had two interceptions to keep the River Hawks uh, flying high. They they take down uh, Oshkosh, which is a slight upset. I know that they were basically ranked around the same number, but very clutch uh, defensive play for him to get those interceptions to to keep his team ahead of. And you know, hey, they're still on a crash course with with Whitewater. You can't say that the the Weak is is a done deal yet. The River Hawks are still in it. And then, yeah, I mean, Coach Cat must really envy this guy, Beckham Sonnabend. I think he, I think he's from Tennessee or something, but he looks like he should be the lead singer of a rock band or an actor or something. I mean, the, the flow on this guy is pretty impressive, and he did contribute 10 points in um, the Foresters' win this weekend, kicking some field goals and, and extra points. So 
Got to give it up for this guy. I'm sure Coach Cat would love to have a mane like that. Maybe he did when in his younger days, but uh, really Beckham is the is the guy with the hair out there in Chicago. <laughs> he bends his hair like Beckham, uh, I guess. Oh, wait, he is Beckham. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, JB, let's talk about a couple of things here as we begin to close out uh, this show. Um, first off, uh, we are actually considering for the first time ever – uh, me catching three full games in the same weekend. Now, we tried this in opening weekend in 2021, wow. um, where we did the Merchant Marine game uh, at FDU Florham and then uh, Westminster uh, hosting Mount Union, but I couldn't get to the Buff State game enough to get more than the fourth quarter out of it. It is actually possible mm -hmm. this weekend that I get down to Muhlenberg at Johns Hopkins on Friday night, come back up to upstate New York, for RPI hosting Hobart. I believe that's uh, the wow. uh, correct order uh, as Hobart will be that traveling is, to yeah. them. And then mm -hmm. Utica hosting Brockport at five o'clock on Saturday. So uh, yeah, believe Brockport. it or not. Are you sure Brockport still wants you to show up for these games? I mean, didn't they have enough well, of you last weekend? You might... <laughs> we'll have to ask might uh, like, Steve Potter, yeah. <laughs> he hasn't yeah, told me no yet. Here. Come on. <laughs> we'll get a reaction, I'm sure, after this show airs, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we are getting to a point, though, also where I will not be on the road as much because in week 10, we'll do our normal uh, Blitzer show. Uh, so mm. we'll show you all the big games across the country, show you how the conference races are shaping up, which is normally the most important weekend to you know either give, give wins in Pool A or to set up what the Week 11 scenarios are. So that's why we do it in Week 10. Uh, but then also when you look at, uh, you know, some of the other games, we'll lose Friday year, night games. We might games. have to change it up, Frank. We might have to, we might have to wait till <laughs> week 11 because there are some, there are some week 11 games that are going to be, you know, pretty critical across the board. I'm trying to think. Well, uh, hold on. Hold on. Game no, 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 no. Because in week 11, I'm in the Yankee Stadium, but big guy. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. For the big Cortica Jug game. It's probably set a new Division Three attendance record. Yeah, we can't, literally we can't do a as, blitzer show that day. As we're doing this show, I got my email about credentials. I have to uh, fill out all this information. That's how seriously we're taking it. It's going to be on Yes Network. Pat Coleman from D3Football.com will be there as well. But we'll obviously do the full shebang in terms of coverage uh, for that game. It's it's yeah. the we'll lining up to be huge. Yeah, well, if you do want to, you're going to need to put in your credential request soon. So we'll talk about uh, getting JB up for a game finally this season. But, um, you know, the way these teams are playing could be 9-0 versus 9-0 going for the undefeated season and the number one seed Probably, possibly yeah. in uh, one of those brackets. So this is going to be exciting. We'll see. Now, it seems like every time we do that, one of these two teams loses one of their games leading up to it. It just seems like without oh, yeah. fail this happens. We'll, we'll see what happens this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still a grind to get through the Liberty League and the Empire 8 completely unscathed, but it just feels like this year the Bombers and the Dragons are just a step above, you know. It, it depends, though. Bombers still need to play against Union, who's been putting up a lot of points and looks strong. Um, Cortland still has to play Utica, who's still undefeated, and, well, see if Brockport changes that uh, this, this Saturday night. Yeah, well, we'll uh, see uh, what the final travel plans are. We'll tell you for sure as uh, the week mm -hmm. progresses here. Uh, one thing that uh, caught our uh, Twitter feed as we were prepping for this show, uh, the targeting uh, call or non-call in the Heidelberg versus Mount Union game, the second quarter, uh, early in the second quarter after Mount Union touchdown, uh, there was a kickoff. And you'll see, uh, we'll run the videos here, uh, the first video that we saw basically, uh, kind of the over-the-top uh, view of it, top-down. You'll see uh, two players converging, number 25 and number uh, 84 for Mount Union, converging on number 8 for Heidelberg. And you'll see possibly targeting there. Uh, it's, it's tough to see inconclusive, but we went back to the videotape, as they say, the uh, TV videotape. And you can see from this, not necessarily as much uh, of a possibility there. We've been kind of tossing this back and forth with referees that we know. And I'll give you the reaction of uh, one of them that I, I think was pretty good on uh, my Facebook feed here. If you give me a moment, we'll get there. 
And without naming names, he says, it looks like a kicking place. So I'll use K and R, kicking, receiving team. Uh, the uh, receiver number eight uh, is defenseless by rule. So the kicking team number 84 looks like his hit is clean from the side view. Shoulder to shoulder. Maybe the head gets in there a little, but not enough for me. Kicking team number 25 leads with the crown and has an indicator. The only thing I can't tell is did kicker number 25 actually make contact or did kick, uh, kicking team's number 84's contact cause uh, the receiver's head to whip back? I think I have a very unsatisfying answer. If this is at a level where you have replay to clean it up for you after the fact, you flag it. If you don't have replay, I don't think I have enough to call targeting. I just can't be sure. But if there is targeting, it's on kicking teams number 84 for leading and attacking with the crown. And so, you know, we, over time, we've been pretty strong about what targeting is or isn't. Uh, Jefferson Fritz in the spring uh, ASC championship game, for instance, when he got uh, booted for a targeting call in that game, we were pretty indignant about the whole idea that you targeted Jefferson. We, we hate to tell you, but you did it. And, uh, you know, we went back and forth with him a little bit, but, he, you know, he was always uh, good spirited about it. Here, I'm going to kind of be honest with the folks that I, by an 80% margin think it's targeting on our poll that we've uh, started up uh, when we're recording this. Folks, I don't think you're right. Um, and more officials uh, that I've talked to, uh, including one from Division Three, when you take a look at the side view again, from uh, the TV broadcast, it looks like the contact was completely at the shoulder zone. So you, two things can lead to targeting, either leading with and hitting with the crown of the helmet, which is that six inch zone right here in the helmet area. Uh, and that will automatically be targeting there if you use the crown in that manner to a defensive player like this, or you hitting with force against a defenseless player to the head region or neck region and that's the question did either one of these players do that and i don't think they did i think they both caught the shoulder in the end and did not target they were flagged for unnecessary roughness probably should have been on sportsmanlike conduct so they at least it carried the possibility if you got another foul like that you could have been booted from the game but you know again to be clear it was a bad play to do because the uh, receiver already had control of the ball. They probably could have let up a little bit there. They didn't. But still, targeting is a pretty hellacious foul to give because it would have knocked somebody out for the entire game in that situation because we're in the second quarter. So again, player safety is paramount, but also it is football. And so that's the kind of dicey back and forth on that. When you saw, what was your initial thought? Because you you two were uh, kind of tagged in this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those bang-bang plays. I think you can't really definitively say it was targeting one way or another without the slowdown of instant replay. But I agree with you that something should have been thrown out there, whether it was a personal foul or, or unsportsmanlike. Something like that was probably appropriate, but... Given the you know maybe the speed of how everything transpired, the official didn't really get a sense one way or another and just made a quick decision. And hey, that that's that's how it went. Yeah, I, and remember what we try to teach players from moments like these is don't lead with your helmet, don't lose control of yourself yeah. because even if you're blocked into somebody, you might be called for something like that. And ultimately, on kickoffs and punts and those plays, they're some of the most dangerous plays out there because of the full speed nature of people coming down the field against somebody that is not moving. And these are very tough things. Uh, you see a player on the ground with his knee in the ground trying to get the ball back, pull off, because he's probably not getting up to run at that point. If he is, you've got probably nine other teammates that are gonna be there to take make that tackle anyway because of where he is and how he's uh, prone on the ground. Let's be sensible when we're playing the game of football. I understand attack mode as much as anybody, but still, these are lives at stake here, folks. Let's be careful. Okay, um, like uh, you were kind of indicating earlier, and I'll give you a chance here to kind of clean that up in terms of uh, big games that are coming up, not just in week seven, but things that you're kind of looking to later on here or as the season's developing. Uh, Centennial Conference, you've kind of spotted that Johns Hopkins-Susquehanna game on the 29th, I think it is, but also this weekend... Johns Hopkins, Muhlenberg. I mean, the Centennial Conference has a long way to go it's before it's all said and done. Absolutely is. So what else you're looking at? What, what's your kind of takeaways as we exit this show? 
Well, I think there, you know, there are still some big games coming up in, in a variety of conferences. In the Northeast, we've got the Alfred State Gallaudet Showdown in Week 11. Uh, the New Mac feels pretty wide open to me. Uh, Empire 8, Cortland's in control, but they still got to play Utica in, in another week or so. Liberty League, Ithaca, uh, Union, and RPI are all technically 2-0 in, in that league. They're going to start doing a round robin, and, and that could get interesting. Same thing in the pack. We've got Carnegie Mellon playing Washington Jefferson, undefeated team versus a team with one loss. It could create a car pileup of sorts like we saw last year and, and lead to some tiebreaker situations. But elsewhere, I mean, Wartburg plays Co in week 11. They're really, I think, the only other challenger for them uh, kind of late in, in the season. Uh, Washington University and North Central play in week 10. As I said before, Linfield has a couple of their Northwest Conference games that they need to win in week seven and eight. And then I think they're pretty much a lock for the playoffs. And as I said before, Randolph-Macon has, has this gamut of Bridgewater this weekend, Shenandoah in week eight, Washington and Lee in week nine. If they can get through that, they're in. And um, you know, we'll have to wait and see in week nine also when Whitewater plays River Falls. That could be one of the biggest games of the season, especially if the Falcons, I said, I think I said Riverhawks before, and that, that, that's my bad, that's Susquehanna. Um, the, the Falcons of, of uh, Wisconsin River Falls, not River Hawks, Baker, uh, can, can pull off the biggest upset potentially of the season. Oh, God. All these mascots and 240 teams, you're, you're liable to mess up one or two. It's okay. We'll give it to you. Uh, but uh, think about that Oshkosh-Whitewater game coming up this Friday night. As Remember, uh, yeah. Coach Jennings, uh, we asked him about playing this Friday night game, and he was not thrilled about the idea of playing a Friday night game, but it is what it is uh, Yep, <laughs> due to high school issues and whatnot. They are forced to do it on this Friday for whatever reason instead of just swapping games. So everything's on a Saturday where it be uh, belongs in Wisconsin, I guess. Uh, they're going to play this game yeah. on a Friday night. So uh, big games on a Friday night. This is the last Friday night I can think of that we're going to have this type of scenario for the rest of the yeah. season. And then things get colder at night, so nobody wants to play at night until the Stag Bowl. So that's coming up in just a couple months, the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl. Think about that, folks. Yeah, crazy. Folks, we will see you on Friday for our live show. Until then, have a great week, and we'll see you then.